Today we come to our fourth and final sermon in our series entitled Refresh, The Transforming Power of God's Grace. Over the last several weeks, we have discovered grace that goes before us as illustrated in the life of Moses, grace that sustains us as seen in the life of Elijah, grace that saves us just like the criminal on the cross. And today we will see a grace that restores us as in the life of Peter. I've often been told and taught that biblical character is not given to us as models for morality, but rather as mirrors for identity. When you and I peek and peer into the page of the Bible, we find people who look like us. We don't see the biblical characters as a way as how we ought to live, but we see the biblical characters as how we actually live. They are just as flawed, just as sinful, just as in need of God's amazing grace as you and me. I think that's what makes the story of Peter so popular because we can identify with his flaws and we can identify with his need for transforming grace. It's with that in mind, I invite you to draw your sword, take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to John chapter 21. I want to read the first 19 verses of that 21st chapter. Once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. John chapter 21, I'll begin at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he simply said to him, follow me. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, the preaching, the understanding, the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. It was Simon Peter who made the declaration, I'm going fishing. It sounds innocent. It sounds rather insignificant. Six of his friends simply responded, we'll go with you. It sounds like not that big of a deal until you put it in its context. Three years before our story, we read in Luke chapter 5, that Peter and his brother Andrew were in a fishing business with their partners, Zebedee and Sons Incorporated. They had a booming business on the Sea of Galilee. I say it was booming, I say it was lucrative, but have you ever discovered that it seems that in the New Testament, Peter can't catch any fish if it weren't for Jesus? Yet regardless, they seem to have a booming business. After fishing all night long, they came in to clean their nets, and as Simon Peter looked up the seashore, he saw the upstart rabbi from Galilee named Jesus walking towards him. Now, Jesus was a relatively new rabbi, and the crowds were flocking around him. Everywhere he went, he drew a large crowd. Today was no different. The crowd pressed into Jesus so heavily that turning to Peter, he asked, can I borrow one of your boats? Peter gave permission. Jesus pushed off from the shore, turned around, sat down, turned the boat into an aquatic pulpit. From that vantage point, he preached his message. After the sermon was over, Jesus issued the invitation, then he dismissed the crowd. Then turning to Simon Peter, he told him, drop your nets in some deep water. Peter responded, sir, we've been fishing all night long. We haven't caught anything. What he's thinking is, what does this preacher know about fishing? Stick to your business. You talk about preaching, I'll do the fishing. I won't tell you how to preach, you don't tell me how to fish. But because you say so, we'll do as you have asked. Peter gave the command the other boats went out into deep waters. They let down their nets. And to the surprise of everyone, they hauled in fish that were so numerous that the nets began to break. Peter, seeing the sheer authority and raw splendor and power of Jesus, he says to Jesus, sir, go away from me for I am a sinful man. It was John MacArthur who said, sin is never clearer than in the presence of righteousness. When Peter compared his sinful life to the sinful lives of the other fishermen around him, he thought to himself, I'm not that bad. 
But on this day, when he compared himself to the one standing before him who gave a command and even the animal kingdom had to obey, he said, I know this man has sheer authority and power and splendor and majesty. Sir, go away from me. I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, you think that was something? I'll make you into a fisher of men. Come, follow me. And on that day, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they dropped their nets. They pulled their boats ashore, left old man Zebedee in the boat, and they followed after Jesus. It didn't take very long for Peter to distinguish himself as the leader of the pack. He was the vocal majority of the group. Whenever there was an opinion that needed to be given, it was Peter who would voice it. We were told that one night Jesus was away praying. He told the disciples to go ahead and get into a boat and go across the sea. In the middle of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the water. They could barely see him. They just saw the silhouette of the man. They thought it was a ghost. Jesus reassured him it was no ghost. It was Jesus of Nazareth. And it's Peter who says, Lord, if that's you, let me come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. And he did the impossible. He started walking on the water. His eyes were fixed upon Jesus. And as long as he was looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith, he was able to successfully maneuver the water and walk on top of it. But he felt the wind around his face. He felt the water splashing against his ankles. He took his eyes off of Christ and he began to sink. Immediately he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down and he rescued him. On another occasion, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? They all responded. Well, some say you're John the Baptist reincarnated. Some say Elijah. Still others, a prophet that's come back from the dead. And Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And guess who spoke up? You're right. It was Peter. Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, your name is Simon, Uh, your name is now Peter, Petra, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus was not saying that the church is built upon Peter. He's saying the church is built upon the confession of Peter, that Peter declared Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And for 2,000 years, we have been confessing people who have declared that Jesus is Christ. He is son of the living God. If there's ever a day to declare that, it's a day like Easter. When we know that the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, the throne is occupied, and Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And so we say with Peter that declaration upon which the kingdom of Christ has been built. That Jesus is Christ, son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, uh, you have declared this and I will establish my church upon it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the upper room with his disciples. Peter's theology had gone from Jesus, you have command of the animal kingdom, to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And now in the upper room, Jesus says to his disciples, before the night is over, all of you will fall away from me. And Peter said, now Jesus, I've never known you to be wrong, but you're wrong about that. 
I will never leave you. I'll go to prison for you if I have to. In fact, I'll die for you if I have to. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. A couple things you have to note from that statement. First of all, the devil can't do anything without divine permission. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Whatever God permits, he has a purpose to promote. It is for your good. It is for the glory of God. So even if God permits suffering in your life, it's so that your faith may be strengthened. He said, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. The word sift, it means to agitate. It means to stir up. It means to, to, uh, to mess up. And Satan has asked to mess up your life. He has asked to wreck your life. But I have prayed for you. And when you return, you will strengthen the brothers. Oh, my friends, it's one thing for Satan to mess me up. But it's another thing to know that God is praying me up in Jesus Christ. Jesus is praying for us. And when we turn back unto him, we strengthen the brothers and the sisters through our story of faith. Oh, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. And when you return, you'll strengthen the brothers. But Simon, let me tell you that before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. They left the upper room that night, and Peter was convinced that Jesus was wrong. They went to the Mount of Olives. They went to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus took the disciples in there. He took Peter, James, and John a little further than going a stone's throw distance away. He knelt to pray. He told the disciples, I want you to pray. I want you to watch. And the prayer meeting broke out into a CPAP symphony. Those brothers just fell asleep. Jesus went back to them, not once or twice, but three times. Woke them up. The flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. Guard yourself with prayer. Jesus prayed. The boys slept. All of a sudden, Jesus woke them up. He said, Judas, my betrayer, is coming. Judas had agreed to identify Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He gave the kiss of death on his cheek. When Judas identified Jesus with that kiss, the Roman soldiers, the temple guards, they began to apprehend Jesus. Peter apparently brought a blade to a prayer meeting. He pulled out a knife. He cut off Malchus's ear. Malchus was the servant of the high priest. Jesus knew he had not come to die in a brawl fight. So he picked up the ear, reattached it to the head of Malchus. And Jesus surrendered himself to the Roman soldiers. When they took Jesus out of the garden, all of the disciples, they fled like screaming schoolgirls. Nobody was around. In fact, we're told that Peter followed at a distance. It's always dangerous to follow Jesus at a distance. Peter wanted to be close enough to keep his promise, but he wanted to be far enough to keep his life. And Peter watched from a distance. As Jesus went through an all-night barrage of interrogations and trials. On this night, Jesus would experience six trials. He would stand before Annas, 
the high priest emeritus. He had been the high priest for many, many years. But this year, the high priest was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Annas. Jesus stood before Annas. He stood before Caiaphas. He would stand before the Sanhedrin. Ultimately, before daybreak, he'll stand before Herod. And twice, he'll stand before Pilate. They would declare that Jesus is guilty, needing to be executed. All the while, Peter is watching, watching from a distance. We are told that it's a cool night, so he goes and he warms his hands by a charcoal fire. And as he's standing there, a little servant girl, just not too many years old, She comes to him and looks up at that grown man named Peter and says, you are with him. And he said, little girl, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. It is Matthew who says, the little girl asked a second time. It is Mark who says that it was another servant who asked. It is Luke who says that it was a man who asked. You put all those together, what that means is that Peter's being peppered with questions. And on a second occasion, Peter looks at them and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. I've never seen him before in my life. And then on a third occasion, it is John who says, a relative of the servant named Malchus came up and said to Peter, I know you're with him. You're a Galilean. Your accent gives you away. You've got to be one of them. It's at that moment that Peter denies knowing Christ. He calls down curses upon himself. He cusses for he is a sailor. He's a fisherman by trade. He cusses like a sailor, calls down curses. May God would deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I've ever seen that man before. On my mama's grave, I promise you, I don't know who that man is. No sooner had Peter said those words that the rooster crowed. When the rooster crowed, Peter looked up and he could see through the courtyard, through the window, He could see Jesus. And the gospel tells us that Jesus locked eyes with Peter. Peter left and he wept bitterly. He ran out of the courtyard. He thought to himself, how could I have done this to my Lord? How could I have done this to the one that I know is the Christ, the living son of God? The moment he needed me, I abandoned him. He felt dirty. He felt ashamed. He felt embarrassed. He felt like the dirt underneath his sandals. Jesus needed him that night. And that night, Peter acted as if he had never met Jesus before. From a distance, Peter saw everything that happened. He watched as Jesus stumbled and staggered through the streets of Jerusalem. Obviously, he had been beaten to a pulp. He looked just like a mangled mass of flesh. Peter wondered if Jesus would even, would even live during the crucifixion because of so much blood loss. He watched as, as they strapped a cross of, of wood on his shoulders. 
And Jesus made his way through the streets, went outside the city gate, went up the skull-shaped hill called Golgotha. Peter wondered how Jesus even had the strength to do it. And from a distance, Peter watched as they stretched the arms of Christ, nailed rusty spikes in his wrists and his feet, shoved a crown of thorns on his precious head, pierced his side with a sword, hoisted him into the air. And for a few hours on that Friday, Jesus hung there. From high noon until three, darkness covered the land. Jesus spoke some statements. He said some things as if he was calling the shots. Eventually he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He bowed his head, gave up his ghost, and he died. Peter saw this from a distance. He knew they took the body of Jesus off the cross, placed him into a grave. They rolled a massive stone in front of it, sealed it. Because the Roman government wanted to make sure that no one would attempt to steal the body of Jesus. They even posted a guard from the Roman Empire. The rest of Friday, Peter was beside himself. Saturday was the longest day of his life. And then early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, she came and found Peter and the beloved disciple named John. She said, they've rolled the stone away. They've taken the body of our Lord. We don't know where they put him. Peter and John raced to the tomb. John was younger, so he was faster. He got there first. He waited for the elder statesman. And when Peter got there, he barged right in. Scripture says that Peter saw the linen the face cloth, how it was folded and put in proper place. But Peter did not understand. John, the beloved disciple, he went in, he saw, and he believed that Jesus is alive. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's alive, just as he said. And John believed it. But Peter, Peter was so overcome with depression. He was so distraught. He was so devastated because his life had been wrecked. He had disappointed the Lord. Peter went back home. He heard that Jesus was alive. Other disciples had seen him. But Peter was convinced, I failed Jesus so much, there's no way he wants to see me. I have disappointed him. I have done such devastating things. There's no way he could forgive me. The moment he needed me, I bolted. I bailed. I failed. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. When he makes the statement, I'm going fishing, it's so much more than just how he's going to spend a few hours in recreation just fishing at a hole. No, what he's saying is, I'm going back to my life before I met Jesus. Before I met Jesus, I was a fisherman. Before I met Jesus, I had a good business. It's something I could do. It's something I understand. It's something I can handle. I'm going fishing. Guys, I'm going to reopen the business. I've had a three-year hiatus, but grand opening. I'm going to reopen the business. And the guy said, we'll go with you. Ah, to add insult to injury. On that first night back, after a three-year layoff, Peter catches nothing. <laughs> nothing. No fish. I mean, he had already told the merchants, 
Meet me there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee because when I come in in the morning, I'll have a mess of fish. He had built a sign that said grand reopening. In the Galilean Gazette, he had gotten out an ad to say, hey, anybody wants some fish? Come meet me tomorrow morning. I'll have plenty of fish for you. And that night he fished and he caught nothing. The fog was still heavy. The disciples could see there was a man standing on the seashore. They couldn't make out who it was. And then all of a sudden, they heard his voice. Friends, do you have any fish? No? Who is that? Who, do you know who that is? Do you know who? Who is that? Put your nets on the right side of the boat. You'll get some. Who in the world does he think he is? Give me five minutes with that loser, and I'll tell him something. He don't know who I am. I'm Peter. I'm a fisherman. What does he mean the right side as opposed to the left side or the wrong side or the front side or the back side? What does he know about fish? You give me five minutes with him, and I'll set him straight. I can only imagine it's John, the beloved disciple, who leaned over and said, what do we have to lose? We don't have any fish anyway. Why not? Peter gives the signal. Let down the nets on the right side. All of a sudden, such a great catch of fish. So enormous, so heavy. They don't break the nets, but they have to call the others to come help them. And then everybody's thinking it. And John, the beloved disciple, says it. He leans down and whispers into the ears of Peter, it's the Lord. Peter says, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm kind of putting two and two together. I'm picking up what you're putting down, brother. And in good Peter fashion, Peter jumps out of the boat. He swims to shore, leaving the disciples to do all the work of towing that big boat with all that fish to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. When Peter walks onto the sand, he sees Jesus. It's awkward. He walks up and Jesus is making breakfast. There's bread and there's fish. Bread and fish. Bread and fish. Peter thinks back about one of the greatest miracles Jesus ever performed. Feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And on that day, what did Jesus create and multiply? (laughs) Bread, fish. It is John who tells us that Jesus was grilling that fish on a charcoal fire. That word for charcoal fire in chapter 21, verse 9, it's only mentioned twice in the New Testament here and one other time in John's gospel. John chapter 18, verse 18. When Peter is warming his hands against that charcoal fire. It's the same word. It's the same Greek word in John 18, 18 as in John 21, verse 9. Jesus knows that smell stimulates memory. All you have to do is smell hot cider. And your mind automatically races back to grandma's house when you were a child at Christmas. Just the smell of it triggers 
So when Peter walks up and he sees the bread and the fish, he remembers the feeding of the 5,000. When he smells the charcoal fire, he remembers the last time he smelled charcoal was when he denied Christ as he's standing there warming his hands the night Jesus was betrayed. I don't really think that the disciples were Baptist, but they sure act like it, don't they? They counted those stinking fish. As Baptists, we count everything, right? They counted 153 large fish. Small ones, they threw back in. The large ones were right there on the sandy seashore. They ate breakfast. When breakfast was over, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon said, yes, Lord, you You know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Being hurt because Jesus now asked him for a third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. To the person who thinks that maybe I'm making a little bit too much about this notion of Peter going back, opening his business, uh, living life uh, as if it was before knowing Jesus and reopening the practice, I want you to take note that on all three occasions, Jesus identifies Peter as Simon's son of John. The name Jesus gave him was Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, that was given to him by his mama. So Jesus is saying, okay, if you're going to act like, you're going to live as if it was before we ever met, let me call you by the name of who you were before I ever met you, Simon, son of John. He says this not once, twice, but three times. On the first occasion, he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? These what? Some have said, he's asking the question, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And that could make some sense until I stop and realize that Jesus was never in favor of fostering some type of competition within the disciples as they jousted for places of prominence in the kingdom. Who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus seemed to put all that down. So why here, why now, would he ask the question, Simon, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? I don't think he's referring to the disciples. So if it's not the disciples, what else is on the seashore? 153 large, smelly fish. Jesus is saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than you love these smelly fish? Do you love me more than you love these fish? What do the fish represent? They represent life before Jesus. They represent uh, Peter's self-sufficiency. They represent his self-sufficiency. Peter, do you love me more than you love yourself and providing for yourself and doing for yourself and being your own God? Do you love me more than you love anything else in this world, anything in this world that you think you're good at, anything else? Do you love me more than you love these stinky fish? Yes, Lord, 
You know that I love you. Jesus asked him three times. Why three times? Well, many have accurately concluded that Jesus asked three times because Peter denied him three times. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ perfectly covers all your mess-ups. I don't know all of your disappointments. I don't know all of your sin. I don't know all the ways that you have disappointed the Lord. I know all the ways that I've disappointed the Lord, and I'm here to tell you that God's grace is sufficient. It completely, it fully, it forever covers all my sin. Peter had denied Jesus, and Jesus comes along and says, my love, my grace, my mercy, it's sufficient for you, friend. I came this morning to tell you, I don't know who you are or what you've done or where you've been, but God's grace is sufficient to cover all of your denials, all of your disappointment, all of your sin, all of your setbacks. Maybe you've heard this story and maybe you're a biblical scholar and you know that in this conversation between Jesus and Peter there are two verbs for love. There's agapeo. It's the verb form of the noun agape. Agape love is God's love. It's unconditional. It's unmerited. It's unending. But then also In this conversation, they speak about phileo love. That's brotherly love. That's the love that you and I would have for each other. It's a a fond concern for one another. You know, the city of Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love, or so they say. In this conversation, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Second time, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Third time, Simon, son of John, do you really phileo me? Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Why does Jesus do this? The first two times he says agapeo. The second time he says phileo. All three times Peter says phileo. Why does Jesus do that? Some have said, well, Jesus is getting down to Peter's level. He's saying if that's all you can do, if that's the best you can muster, I'll come and meet you where you are. And that sure does sound like Christ, doesn't it? Except for the fact that I've never known Jesus to lower the bar. I've never known Jesus to lower the bar of commitment. What is he saying? He's saying Peter... Do you really even phileo me? Are you sure that you even phileo me? By asking that, he's hurt. He's hurt because he asked three times. He's hurt because he asked, do you really phileo me? Lord, you know all things. You know, you know that I phileo you. Then feed my sheep. Jesus Asked three times, yes, because his grace covers over all of our sin. But can I go one step further? He asked three times because Jesus needs to know and he needs for Peter to know, do you really love me? If I went home today and my lovely wife, Jane Ellen, if she asked me, "Uh, Davin, do you love me? I'd say, baby, you know I love you. She goes, no, 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 I'm being serious. I'm being serious. Do you really love me? I'd be like, yeah, 
You know that I love you. David, I am not joking. You've got to tell me the truth. Do you love me? Now, guys, I was born at night, but not last night. By the time she got to the third question, I would say something serious is going on here. I think this is a serious conversation between Jesus and Peter. Peter, do you love me? Because if you don't truly love me, then you are not going to be able to do all that I have in store for you to do. Do you love me? I need to know and I need you to know that you know that you love me. Peter says, yes. You know that I love you. For Jesus, love is more than what we speak. It's what we do. For Jesus, love is is, is more than uh, how we offer words, but how we walk in faith. Let me ask you the question, does Peter love Jesus? All you got to do is turn a couple of pages to Acts chapter 2 and you'll discover that Peter loves Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, it is Peter who stands up to preach. On that day, some 3,000 people are saved and Peter declares, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, the Jesus who stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth, this Jesus The Jesus who was born in a Bethlehem barn. This Jesus who lived a perfect life. This Jesus who opened up the eyes of blind men. This Jesus who unstopped deaf ears. This Jesus who said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came hopping out of the grave. This Jesus who made bread and fish to feed a multitude. This Jesus who was perfect in every way. This Jesus who stumbled and staggered through the streets of Jerusalem with your sin strapped to his back. This Jesus who hung on the cross between two thieves so that you might live forever. This Jesus. Jesus who took your condemnation so you can enjoy his salvation. This Jesus who paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin and left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. This Jesus who died on the cross, was buried in the grave, on the third day was raised from the dead. This Jesus is both Lord and Christ. What Peter declares on the day of Pentecost, I declare on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus is my Lord and my Christ. The tomb is empty. Christ is alive. The throne is occupied. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. In our conversation, Jesus just says to Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, somebody else will dress you. Somebody else will lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate the type of death that Peter would experience to glorify God. Tradition tells us that Peter also was executed on a cross. But when, he, when it came time for him to be crucified, he requested that his cross be turned upside down. I cannot die the same way my Savior died. Jesus turned my life upside down. So in death, I'm turning that cross upside down. Simply the command of Jesus at the end of our passage, follow me. What's ironic is that in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is introduced to Peter, he gives him one command, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. At the end of it all, he simply says, follow me.
Do you love Jesus? That's a question you can answer. You can answer it out loud if you want to. Do you love Jesus? If you love him, follow him. If you love him, follow him. If you love him, serve him. If you love him, make much of him. If you love him, speak of him. If you love him, worship him. If you love him, give your life to him. If you love him, give your family to him. If you love him, give your dreams to him. If you love him, just follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, it's now. I don't know what all you've been through. I don't know what all you've done. But I know this much. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover up all of your sin, all of your disappointment, all of your denials. And I don't know about you, but I'm just so glad today that Jesus keeps on showing up on the seashores of our lives. He showed up on the seashore in Luke chapter 5. He showed up on the seashore in John chapter 21. He shows up after you've made a mess of things. He shows up to communicate his goodness to you. He shows up to apply his grace to you. He shows up when you least expect it. Jesus is the hound from heaven. He keeps showing up on the seashores of our lives. And I don't know about you, but I just say on this Easter Sunday, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because you show up when I've messed it up. You show up when I've wrecked it up. You show up and you clean it up. You show up and you fix me up. Oh Lord, thank you. And he just asked me, do you love me? If you do, follow me. If you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, today can be the day of your salvation. We'll have ministers here. All you have to do is come forward and say, hey, I need this Jesus to cleanse me from my sin. And today he will, my friend. All who call on the name of the Lord, believing that he died on the cross for your sin, was buried on the third day, raised from the dead, you will be saved. If you're here today and you are a Christian, but let's be honest, maybe you've had a three-year layoff. Maybe you've had a three-year layoff and, and you're coming back and now's the time for you to come and say, Lord, I love you so much, I'm just gonna follow you. I want you to know the altar's open for you to come and pray for yourself. Maybe you're praying for a family member, a friend, a loved one, a co-worker. As God moves, won't you respond in obedience to him? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. Lord, we hope, we pray that we will respond to you in faith. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.